a little bit of a Bible lesson I want to give you guys. Um, and then we'll get into the message. Uh, but we're, we're in John chapter 8 today. And if you've got your Bible with you, open to John chapter 8. We move from John chapter 7 that we studied last week. And we move into John chapter 8. And at the very beginning of John chapter 8, there's a passage or a, or a story that's there that we all love and we probably all heard and, and we think is, is a great story. And I want to say with great respect for Bible translators and, and um, people who have held to this for all of their lives, that there's a note that's there and it's there for a reason. In fact, at the very beginning of John chapter 8, it says the earliest manuscripts do not include this section. Or it might say that just before John chapter 7, verse 53. Now, all of my life, I've heard this story taught. And I've, I've heard people teach on this and build doctrine around it. And in my studies over the last several months as I have been studying through John and reading through John, I have been convinced of something that um, I just want to share with you guys. And the reason I'm sharing with you is because we're actually going to skip this portion of the Bible. We may come back to it later. But the reason I'm going to skip it is because I don't believe it belongs there. I don't believe it belongs in that place. This passage, this part of John chapter 8, did not begin appearing in the Greek manuscripts until about the fifth, end of the 4th century, beginning of the 5th century. The oldest and most reliable manuscripts that we have don't record this. The Greek fathers, the church fathers that commentated on the Bible and, and, and we have recordings of their sermons, they never even spoke of this until after the 5th century. The first one I was able to find was, was uh, Augustine, and I don't know when... At what point in his life he wrote on it, but he lived late into the 400s. And so he would have had that available to him. And so we're skipping it because I believe, and let me, let me bring this out too, is that when it does begin to appear in the manuscripts, it appears in different places. Sometimes it's in the, the book of Luke. Sometimes it's in a different part of John. And even in those Greek manuscripts where it does appear, there's, there's usually... Uh, Asterisks. It, they didn't use asterisks, but I mean, that's what you would know them by. They used asterisks to set this off, to demonstrate that they were copying it, but it wasn't always copied there. And so we're going to skip it. And the reason we're going to skip it is because if you begin to read John chapter 7 and, and read through John chapter 7 and, and read the recording of Jesus at the Feast of Booths in the tabernacle, in the temple, and at this celebration of the Jews, you see him using imagery that they were that they were using or that they were that, that was a part of their celebration. And if you leave this in there then pretty quickly you see that there's another day added and Jesus isn't in the tabernacle anymore, but you read a little further and you understand he is and so it, it kind of mixes up the story. And so as we approach this part of the Bible, we're going to, to set that aside because I don't believe it belonged there. I'm not I'm not alone in that. I'm not some renegade guy who who's just decided this. You can read from a lot of commentators and a lot of theologians who have studied this much longer than I have, much deeper than I have, and they'll tell you the same thing. That most theologians don't believe this is truly even Scripture, but something that was added along the way. Probably it was historically accurate. Probably it really did happen. Probably a true story, but not necessarily inspired by God. 
And so there are things we can learn from it, but we should never base our theological or doctrinal positions on it. But for us right now, it gets in the way of what's happening with Jesus and and at this ceremony that he's attending. Okay, that being said, the lesson's over. The the little bit of of information I needed to share is over, and we're going to move into this message and, and try to see what the Lord has for us in it. And I want to start by thinking about things that we don't understand, or can't comprehend, and, and, and don't really necessarily always want to believe in, but often frighten us. Amy's brother invited us to watch a movie last night. We didn't go see it, um, had never even heard of it. Uh, but because we hadn't heard of it, didn't know anything about it, uh, Amy looked it up online to see what it was, what it was about. It's called Paranormal Activity. It's supposed to be the new fad in horror movies. It's supposed to be extremely scary. I don't know. If you're planning on seeing it, I don't know enough about it to ruin it for you, but I, I, the, the premise of the story goes that there's a couple that live in a house that they believe is haunted, and they want to video, capture video footage of this haunting. And, and the reality is, is that as you sit here and listen to me talk about this, you recognize, well, that's just a movie, but it scares people to death. And the reason I think it scares people to death is because there's some semblance of reality there. We may not believe in ghosts the way that this movie is going to portray ghosts. But the Bible is very clear, and it speaks about spiritual warfare as if it's commonplace, if it happens all the time. And so what we can recognize, and in fact, let me... Let me just even say this. There are places in Scripture that it demonstrates that the spiritual warfare happens very personally and and intimately within individuals. I mean, the Bible's full of stories of people who were demon-possessed and who had demons cast out of them. In our culture today, in our our realm of, of scientific knowledge and information, we don't like to think about things like that. But the Bible is very clear that there's a darkness out there that scares us, that, 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 that should terrify us. But there's truth in Scripture that's bigger and more powerful than that. And that's going to be the focus of, of what, we, what we look at today. The, the, the focus of our passage today focuses around the light. But you can't look at the light without understanding that there is a darkness. We're going to read John chapter 8, verse 12. But before we get into it, let me, let me set this up for you because all your life you've read John chapter 7 and you've gone into John chapter 8 and it's a whole new day and a whole new thing going on. But, but I don't believe that that's what's occurring here. You see, John chapter 7 finishes by Jesus standing up in the middle of this, of this ceremony as they're drawing water out of the well of Shalom. Uh, I'm going to say that wrong. But, but he, they're drawing water out of a well. It's a huge part of their ceremony. And Jesus stands up in the middle of it and says, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. And I will give him drink. And he who believes in me, he, he says, he, the, the one who believes in him, the one who comes to him, he says, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And, and so you see Jesus stand up in the middle of this, this ceremony and he proclaims a statement that just causes all kinds of rampant controversy. I mean, all of a sudden people are talking and discussing and, and struggling with what Jesus said. And, and that's, how the, that's how that chapter ends. Jesus is, 
is, is making his statement and people are responding. Some are saying he's the Christ. Some are saying he's a prophet. And others are, are, are angry and all the more they want to kill him. They want to get rid of him. And as that controversy begins to boil, Jesus says something that we consider profound and probably don't always even think about or try to totally comprehend. He says this in response to their, their controversy in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, He's just told them that they get the drink from Him. And now He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, But you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And we begin to see how they react in, in a negative way. But, but I want you to hear these words. I want you to begin to understand them. I want you to understand and know that Jesus is telling us that he is the light. But, but before we even get to that point and begin to try and understand that, I want you to see that there is a controversy here, that there is a conflict here, that there is a, 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 a spectrum here. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. There is a world of light and there is a world of darkness. Notice that conflict, that contrast. The, 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 the first world where the light rules, you know, that's, that's surrounded by Jesus. And, and the other world, that place of darkness where there's no light at all. Where, where, where the evil and sinister and terrible things that we imagine exist and have read in the Bible exist, where they live and rule. Yeah, those are things that should cause in us some sense of foreboding or some sense of fear. Because there's this place where... where we can't see where we can't understand, where we can't know truth, where we can't be connected to truth. And in this darkness where we can't see and we can't be who we know we've been called to be. I want you to imagine that contrast. I want you to think about these things. As Jesus said these things, he's in the temple at this ceremony. He's standing in the the. the, uh, the um, Oh, the, the treasury and maybe the women's court. But he's standing there and there's four big torches. And as he's standing there, he's, he's referring to these torches that demonstrate the light. This, this whole ceremony, this whole thing that they're doing, this, this whole week of celebration is all dedicated to remembering what God did for the Israelites in the desert. This whole thing that he's about doing is, is, is all about pointing to himself as the fulfillment of what God did for the Israelites in the desert. And so as they draw the water out of the well and, and, and demonstrate how God provided drink for them, he says, I am that water. I am your, your satisfaction for thirst. And then he looks at these torches which are burning and demonstrating what God did for them in the desert as he led the Israelites in the desert. And, and imagine what that was like. He led them in the desert by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. And that's what those torches represented. And now Jesus says, I am the light. You see, you guys look back to this time when you were in the desert. You remember how God provided and how he guided in the desert. But I'm that light. I'm that thing that this pointed towards. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the light of what this little shadow or this representation demonstrates. Imagine 
what they were experiencing. They go into this week of celebration remembering what God had done. What did God do for them in the desert? Before he even brought them to the desert, he brings them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. Before they can even cross the Red Sea, the Egyptians are chasing after them, and God provides a a, a defense for them. He he slows the, the Egyptians down. He keeps them from getting them. They cross the Red Sea on dry ground, and the sea closes up behind them. And then he begins to deal with them and and help them understand how they're to live and and what they're to do. And he tells them, build the tabernacle. He gives them instructions for for building their, their mobile temple. And they build this place. And the cloud of, that, that represents God comes and rests on it. And when the cloud picked up and began to move, they were supposed to pick up and begin to move. And they followed it through the desert just like that. And in the, in the daytime, it looked like a cloud. At nighttime, it looked like fire. If that cloud hadn't been there, if that fire hadn't been there, how would they have known where to go? I think this becomes significant because so much of what they dealt with really exemplifies what we deal with. You see, they were living in a desert. They were in a place where for as far as the eye could see was desert. There was no civilization. There was nothing. They're out in the middle of nowhere, totally dependent upon God. Now, that's hard for us to imagine because we got things like maps and compasses and GPSs. But I want you to take all of those and set them aside. And I want you to place yourself in a place where you have no visual cues and you know, have no way of finding your way. You have no idea where the nearest place is that you can find food or water or anything. And that's the desert. And that's where they lived. And that's what God guided them through. You see... Man, what a great parallel that is for our life. And we think we got things figured out. I've got a plan for my life. I, I know where I'm headed. I was told uh, from, from, from a, being a little boy, you know, I asked questions like, what do you want to do with your life? And I had all these answers. And, and of course, they changed as I grew up and got older. I, I had this plan still, and I still had things figured out. And I, okay, well, now I'm going to do this. And, and by this time, I hope to be at this place. And, and at least by the time I'm 55, I want to retire so that I can just take it easy. You know, you've got all these things planned. What we don't recognize and what we can't see is that while we might be able to see and there's plenty of light all around us, that light is not the light. You see, we, we, we've got this life that, that, that we feed into and that, that fulfills us and we think is, is what it's all about. But the reality is, is that we are walking around in a desert. And we need God's guidance. We need His light to guide us. We need to see Him ahead of us. There is a world of light. But we're born into a world of darkness. And we're in this place where that light and that darkness collide. 
And that contrast should be very visible. And those, those, those ideas and that knowledge should be seen. But where do we find it? Where do we look for it? Well, we could go to a church on the corner and, and, and maybe they'll tell us something new. We, we can find friends who give us advice. We can have the best of, of, of counselors. We can have the, the best financial planners. We can have the best that this world has to offer. But it all feeds into the darkness. Jesus says and made this claim and he blew these Israelites away and he should blow you and I away. I am the light. I am that place where you'll find the guidance. I am that place where you'll be, begin to be able to see the truth. I am the truth. I am the revealer. I am the light. It's always intrigued me that on the first day of creation, God says, let there be light. And it was so. And he separates the light from the darkness. But then he didn't create the sun and the moon and the stars until day four. You see, we're so used to connecting the source of light to our sun that we forget that there's a greater source of light. We forget that there's a a, a greater, more important light. Jesus says he is that light. And that that light shines in the darkness, in the midst of all the things that are evil, in the midst of those things that should scare us and, and, and have us afraid, in the midst of that place where, where we can't understand and we don't know what's going to happen next and, and life could be falling apart around us, Jesus says, I am the light. And here's the great news about Him being the light and what that means for us. What that means for people is that that light dispels the darkness. Did you hear how he said it? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. He says it with assurance and confidence. You know why? Because darkness never beats the light. The darker it gets, what happens to the dimmest of lights? They seem to shine brighter. His light is so powerful and so amazing because He is that source that His light dispels the darkness. As His, as his light comes in, it, 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 it uncovers the darkness. It chases it away. It makes it hide, for a lack of a better way to say it. It, it, it causes it to disappear. I couldn't help but think of, of, of a movie that... I. I don't know, it's probably cliche to like this movie because there's so many people that like it, but the uh, Lord of the Rings series, um, I've read the books, thoroughly enjoyed the movies. Um, But in the second one, and there was many illustrations of how light chased away the darkness in that movie, but in the second one especially, the first one was so dark and so depressing. When it ended, I felt just sad. I was like, no, you can't stop here. You can't finish this at, at, at this point. There needs to be more. Well, in the second one, it, you're feeling like, man, this is, they're just getting their tails kicked everywhere they turn. It's darkness and evil, and everything is just falling apart. Is this guy going to bring it back around to where they begin to win? Because I've read the books. I know how it's supposed to go. It's just feeling depressing and, and, and distraught, and, 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 and it all just seems like it's not going to come together. 
And at the very end of that movie, or near the end of that movie, the, the great battle at, at Helm's Deep begins to occur, and, and elves and men are standing on this wall, and they're looking out, and there is a mass of darkness and evil against them. And it doesn't look like there's any way they can win, and they are scared, but they are going to fight. And it's so exciting because at some point you're thinking something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And at the very last moment when all seems lost and, and the, the, the Orakai have come in and destroyed this castle and they are taking over and there's very few people left. These, these men, they stand up and they say, we're going to ride and we're going we're gonna to do our best. Well, as they ride out, this wizard comes over the, the top of a hill and he shines this light. And that light just, it ruins the evil. It devastates it. And that, in my mind, I could not help but think, this is the victory. Because where that light is, all darkness fades. It all disappears. It all goes away. You know, in this world, I couldn't help but think about, in this world, everywhere the light shines, there's going to be shadows. But that's because our light's connected to a fixed point. But in this place, where Jesus speaks about his light, that light's not fixed to a single origin thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away. It comes from him, and there will be no shadows or darkness or places for evil to hide. You see, the great hope is that even though there is a world of light and there is a world of darkness, and that world of darkness is tearing us apart, that light has come into our world. That's the hope that we have. That's the promise that we have. And so as Jesus stood in that temple and he says, I am the light of the world. You are remembering this thing that happened so many years ago and I'm glad you're remembering it. But you're counting on the wrong thing. See, I'm here to fulfill what that all shadowed, what that all showed, what it all pointed to. I'm here to be the light. To dispel the darkness, to chase it away. To give us a hope. But he doesn't promise this for everyone. He doesn't say this to every person in the world. He doesn't say this that, well, you can just go do whatever you want to do and be whoever you want to be. And you'll enjoy this light. Who does he make this promise to? He says it to the Israelites, but he speaks about a certain group of people. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me. It's extremely important to understand this. Jesus didn't say that everyone would experience this light, but only those that would follow him. The Israelites, they had assumed that based on their knowledge and on their ancestry, on their own wisdom and insight, they had assumed that they had so much figured out. And so as they looked at themselves, they felt pretty good about the fact that they thought God felt really good about them too. Hey, look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished. Look at who we are. Look at us compared to them. God must really be pleased with us. You know why Jesus is telling them that he's the light? Because they were swallowing up a big lie full of darkness. 
You see, they had they had gone to the other extreme and had believed in this in this other light, in this other thing that brought hope and, and satisfaction, in this other thing that would defeat evil. They were counting on their own self-righteousness. And looking at a world who was lost in darkness, they had fooled themselves to believe that they were standing in light when they themselves were in darkness. You see, it starts to get pretty personal here. <laughs> because we come from a church culture. We, we come from a, a culture where there's a, a, a church on every corner. And maybe you've not been in church for a while. Maybe you've been disconnected from church for a while. But, but probably had some church experience at some point in your life. And it's really easy to begin feeling like these people that Jesus is talking to. And swallowing up this lie that if I go to the right church, serve in the right ministry, do the right things, I will please God. And He will accept me. And based on what I'm doing, He will save me. That's not what the Bible teaches. You see, that's just another lie. That's just more darkness. That's just another place for that, that evil and that, 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 those sinister things to take place and eat us up and tear us down and destroy us. Jesus says, I am the light. And those who follow me, they will not walk in darkness. Hmm. You see, the, the, the darkness that these Pharisees and these Jews were dealing with, it may not have been in the same corner of that dark room, but it was in the same room. And Jesus says, you're hoping in the wrong thing. Well, see, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that as it begins to get personal because the depths of the darkness, they're not just outside us. It's not just the, the evil things that are out in the world. It's not, it's not just those things that, that, that we can't see and comprehend and that scare us and frighten us. It's not just the spiritual warfare and it's not just the, the demons and, and the angels out there fighting, but there's a darkness in each of us. There is a darkness in each of us. Every one of us are capable of being where the Pharisees were because we're fallen. Every one of us are able to be the worst of criminals because we're fallen. Maybe you had different upbringing. Maybe, maybe, you, had, maybe you had different advantages. I, I don't know. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt we're born into a dark world by dark parents. And our only hope is not our ancestry or the things necessarily that they taught us, but it's Jesus. I hope that they taught you about Jesus. I hope that you're teaching your children about Jesus. But it's not their instruction or their word or their power that changes you or saves you. It's Jesus and His light. He's the one who did the work. He's the one who shines brightly. He's the one who dispels darkness. He's the light of the world. And it's following Him and being near Him that keeps us from darkness. And I don't say that at you. I don't say these things to you 
and count myself exempt. You see, I've got a pretty dark history myself. In fact, I can remember as I was thinking about things that scare us and make us nervous and, and, and parts of the world and of this, this world that we can't see and comprehend but, but frighten us, I was remembering a time when I gathered with a fr- group of friends from high school. There was a couple of girls who had built a Ouija board out of cardboard, and they were using a glass. And we all got together in this basement, and we played with this Ouija board. Even tingles thinking about it, I... Uh, it, it, it was an unnerving experience as you would ask questions out loud and, the, and, and everybody had their hands on the glass and the glass would move around the board and would spell out answers. Well, there was this one girl in particular that every time she took her hand off the glass and was, wasn't involved, the glass would either quit moving or just didn't move as easily or, or quickly. And so we all blamed her on being the one that was moving it. She was, she was doing this. And as we played with this thing that we don't even recognize how dangerous it is, we were having fun and laughing and joking. Right on the edge of it. And she says, no, it's really not me. It's not me. It's not me. And she swore it. She swore it. She swore it over and over. And we went on for a a good long time asking questions and trying to see this glass move. And she said, I tell you what, I'll put my hand on the glass, but you ask your questions silently in your head. And if it moves and answers the question rightly, then you'll know it's not me. And so we did. We each took a turn. And when it came to my turn, I sat and asked this question over and over in my head. And I was already amazed because it had happened a couple of times already. It had answered rightly. But I was asking, what's my middle name? Over and over in my head. And as I said that question, I thought there's no way that it's going to get it right. First, because nobody in the room knew my middle name. Second, because I've got a really weird middle name. But third, I was talking to myself. I was not saying anything out loud. You don't know the feeling. Maybe you do. Maybe you've had an experience similar. But it was an extremely eerie and scary feeling as that glass moved to each letter. E. Circled around a little bit. P. H R A I M. It even misspelled it the way I misspell it. It was freaky weird. Scared me to death. I didn't know what to think. I couldn't help but remember that moment and how close I was to the darkness. And then I recognized I've often walked in darkness. You see, it wasn't just that experience with a Ouija board. But I've chased after my own gods. I've lived for pleasure. I've sought after those things that will give me temporary satisfaction. I've looked and and not cared a thing about other people as long as I was fed. I did things that were harmful to other people because I didn't care so that I could succeed. I walked in darkness. And the reality is, is that maybe I didn't kill somebody or or, uh, act out in, and I can't think of the word I want to say all of a sudden. Maybe I didn't go and commit some string of 
of serial killers, uh, uh, serial murders. Maybe I didn't molest children. Maybe I didn't go out and do these terrible, evil things that we label people as evil with. But I was evil. And the truth is, is that I say, as I say that, you should recognize that you too, every one of us, are evil. And we're in darkness. And as we hear Jesus say these words, recognize that he's truly the only source of that light. Now it's much easier for me to stand here and think about where my life is today. I'm planting a church. I tell people about Jesus. I knock on doors of people I don't even know hoping for a chance to share the gospel. I'm a good parent. I'm a good husband. I've got a lot of good going for me. But if I hang on to that, and I point to that as what makes me worthy, I'm hanging on to the wrong light. Because that's just more darkness. You see, the Bible teaches us what the life of a person who follows Jesus should look like. It teaches us what the life of someone living in the light looks like. Paul wrote about it in Galatians chapter 5. He says to us, and he he gives us the contrast as well. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is verse 16. I'll read through verse 25. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. This is the darkness. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all these things. And things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You see... The point is, and and what I want you to see is, is that I can't hang on to those good things in my life as as that thing that makes me worthy or or, or worth salvation or or makes me acceptable to God. But those things should be evident in the life of a person following after God, because as you live in the light, what should happen? The light should reflect off of you. The light should become evident in you. And there is a drastic difference between the life of a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ and the life of someone who's not. You just heard it. A life that's lived in darkness is lived for self. We are our own gods. A life lived in light is a life that begins to to shine. A life that begins to look much like Jesus. And so, as we close today and we think about this passage... I want to call you to the same place I call you every week. Where's your light? 
What are you trusting in? What are you following after? Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want you to just think about all the things that are evil and wrong in the world. And if you understand truth and you're connected to Christ and you're following after Him and you can see the fruit of Him alive in you and and you can see good things in you, not because you do them, but because He's worked them in you, I want you to thank Him. I want you to fall before Him and just thank Him. And I want you to plan to walk humbly and gratefully after Him close enough that His light will begin to radiate off of you. Maybe you're trusting in some other light. You're hoping in some other, some other light that's truly darkness. I want you to look to Jesus. And I want you to see that He is the only source. He is the only place that you'll find salvation. He is the only victory over darkness. Dear Jesus, we thank You for coming into our world. We thank You for shining Your light into our darkness. We 